Greetings in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. I want to extend a welcome to each one here and uh, trust that uh, you'll be encouraged today as we look into the Word of God and endeavor to understand that which we can understand. As we learned this morning, that it's beyond our comprehension. I did appreciate the uh, the thoughts that were shared here already. You know, there are, perhaps there are times when we all feel like that fifth sparrow. And maybe some feel that more than others. And uh, it is important and necessary that um, that there are messages and words shared to encourage all of us to realize that uh, you know God loves you. God cares about you. That you were not a mistake. You were not an afterthought. God has something in mind for you. <clears throat> and I think it's important that uh, when we think about God's economy, you know that we have the example given in Scripture where they were uh, all uh, giving their offerings and uh, the rich men were casting in their wealth and they were doing a lot for the kingdom. And then came a poor widow who had barely nothing and she threw in what little she did have. And the Lord Jesus commended her that in his kingdom perspective she was of greater worth than all the rest of them put together. And that's encouraging to us because, uh, you know, sometimes we're tempted to feel like we don't have anything to offer. We're limited in gifts. We're limited in abilities. We're, you know, just not of much value. Well, if we don't have faith, then, you know, if we're lacking faith in God, then we probably are not of much value. But if we have faith in God, Confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. That little contribution that we make becomes the greatest contribution many times. And I want to encourage us in that. May our hearts be encouraged this morning that God does love us and care for us. The message that I will be sharing this morning is probably our response then to that love that God has for us, that care that God has for us. I think it will come out that way a bit. If we're able, let's stand together and commit our time to the Lord in prayer. God, we do quiet our hearts before you here again today. We're assembled here, Father, as your children, seeking again a blessing from you, seeking, Father, 
to be fed, seeking Father to be exhorted, to be encouraged, seeking Father to again have a glimpse of you, your love and your care, seeking Father to have our understanding open, to understand your love and your care, desiring Father also to understand our response to your love and your care for us. And today here, as we again look into the Word of God, we are asking that your Spirit would truly minister to us. Your Spirit would work through a vessel of clay to make the heart, mind, and will of God known to God's people and to all. Should there be anyone here who is not given their heart and life to Jesus Christ, that this morning your Spirit would minister the Word to that heart as well, drawing it to Christ, the only means of salvation. So, Father, we commit this time to you and do ask that you would bless each one present, that you would minister to each heart as you understand each heart's needs, Lord. And we just... uh, Look to you in faith and in confidence and trust that you will do that. Even as you multiplied the loaves and the fishes in uh, the day that you walked upon the earth here today, we ask that you take these few meditations of our hearts and bless them and multiply them to your people. Father, we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. You can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. I guess I'm uh, starting to give you Ephesians a little bit more piecemeal than than, uh, expository. Um, the last several messages we we just kind of highlighted on a on a thought or a, a concept or a, a phrase that was uh, found in these scriptures, and I guess we're ending up doing a little bit of the same again this morning. Ephesians five. I think though I'm going to read. Chapter 5, verses 1 to verse, I guess I'll probably read to verse 21, just to give us the context and a little bit of overview, and then we'll uh, get on into the message. Ephesians 5, verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And while I'm reading, maybe I'll just make this comment. Uh, We want to notice where the word walk is used, and it's used right here in verse 2, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And then verse 3 gives us a contrast, which we'll be considering that contrast a bit also. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, 
Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise." redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. <clears throat> As I said, the, uh, in this scripture, the word walk shows up several times, three times to be exact. We have it in uh, verse 2, walk in love. We have it in verse, verse 8, walk as children of light. And we have it in verse 15, walk circumspectly. When I originally started studying for this message, I was intending to cover all three and include all three of those concepts in the message. But as it is, I didn't want to keep you three hours. So we're going to look at just the first one, walk in love. As you know, those of you who are regular here, I had spoken on several of the uh, subjects there in verse 3, the one on covetousness, also verse 4 on, on uh, our uh, speech, foolish talking, jesting, and those kind of things. So I'm not necessarily going in, a, in a, any major order here, I guess, as we, uh, we kind of review these scriptures. <clears throat> but we do want to, as we discuss uh, the subject of walking in love, and that is the title of today's message, uh, one of the things that we notice here is that this term, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us and offering in a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor is given to us and then it is contrasted by verse 3, but... Fornication, uncleanness, and all those things that are listed there. Uh, 
So it's given to us in, in, in a contrast uh, of the other side of the scope of uh, humanity. In fact, if uh, you just uh, go to verse 17 of chapter 4, uh, we are told, This I say therefore, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth, henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. And so there it's uh, contrasting again. The, uh, uh, where the, this, this, uh, this scripture contrasts the, the two different walks. The, the walk of, of love, the walk of life, and the walk of death, I guess would be the other description. Walking in the vanity of the mind, walking in sin. Of course, as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but uh, reflect on uh, Matthew uh, 7 when Jesus says, Enter in at the straight gate, for straight is... How does that verse go? For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. For straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Again, the contrast. And you know, uh, that contrast of uh, the way of life and the way of death is a contrast that basically you find all the way through Scripture. As God puts before His people or before humanity that option, that choice, the way of life or the way of death. We'd like to just go back into the Old Testament for a few moments and see how God gave it to uh, uh, His people there, in uh, particularly to the nation of Israel, in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and then also chapter 30. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse uh, 26. verse 26 to 28 reads as follows, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. Now, if you stop and just, you know, you just look at that scripture and then let your mind go back to Ephesians and what we read there in Ephesians. You know, there's a lot of similarities in what we read in Ephesians. You know, a way of blessing and a way of curse. You know, uh, you know walking uh, in obedience to God versus walking in disobedience. Uh, works of darkness versus works of light, you know. Uh, and, and then in uh, chapter 30, it's just more of the same, really. Uh, chapter 30, beginning in verse 11. And here, this is also an interesting scripture. Uh, let's at least read some of this. Chapter 30, verse 11. For this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up to heaven, go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? 
Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldst say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. Okay, sounds similar, doesn't it? Where, where do we find that in the New Testament? Romans chapter 10, very similar wording, and obviously the New Testament writer drew it out of here. Um, You know, when we look at those uh, scriptures like that, and there'd be dozens of them, we realize that the heart of God in the Old Testament wasn't that different than it is in the New. God was looking for a people that are going to love Him. God was looking for a people that are going to love Him by their own choice and serve Him. And, uh, you know, that was, that was his goal all along. And uh, he set the way of life and the way of death before them. And he sets it before us as well. Oh, uh, let's see. He continues on there, I guess. Yeah, let's just continue. Verse 15. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. In that I command, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce you this day that ye shall surely perish. <clears throat> he goes on and says, uh, verse 19, I, have, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life, and the length of thy days. That thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give it. <clears throat> we have the two contrasting ways given there. Uh, And just like we have them in Ephesians, when we go back there again uh, to Ephesians, you know, God has basically been uh, doing this all through life, all through the history of humanity. He did it for uh, Cain. You know, Cain... uh, Cain uh, slew his brother and, and uh, God gave him an option. God gave him a choice. God showed him the way in which he would go to obtain a blessing. And Cain obviously chose not to, to go that way. But that has been God's, uh, that has been God's uh, heart and, and uh, way of uh, relating to his creation. Uh, giving them the opportunity to choose whether they would love and serve Him. Uh, just as we have it here in, uh, in Ephesians, uh, he says that uh, basically spells out uh, the contrasting ways of uh, walking 
in love, walking as dear children, being uh, children of God, or choosing to live in sin and uh, selfishness. So we're going to, for today, we're going to focus our focus largely on uh, the side of walking in love. We may contrast it just a little bit, a few places in the message, just to give us the uh, perspective. It does, uh, it does give us perspective when we contrast things, and uh, we may do some of that, but we're going to largely focus on the positive side of walking in love. <clears throat> So, Ephesians 5 verse 2 exhorts us to walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. You know, we, maybe we would say, uh, how do we define what it means to walk in love? Or what does a life look like that is lived that way? A life that is lived walking in love. What would it look like? You know, in this scripture and in other scriptures, we actually have Jesus given to us as an example that he actually demonstrates a life of love to us. He demonstrates to us what a life that is walked in love looks like. He models it for us. And uh, the scriptures use him numerous times. Uh, to do that. How, do, how is Christ's love defined to us? The scripture tells us here that he hath given himself for us. That defines it. He hath given himself for us. Uh, if we go to Ephesians 5.25, which is not part of our text today, but it says there, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. His love is characterized by giving. By giving himself. In Galatians 1 verse 4, it says this, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for our sins. Titus 2 verse 14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So, Christ, as He is highlighted, as He is lifted up before us, the word that almost always shows up is the word give. He gave Himself. He gave. Now, just think about that for a moment. He gave. Then go to verse 3 of Ephesians 5 and verse 4 and consider what is the focus there. But fornication and uncleanness, covetousness, What's the focus there? Is the focus giving? Or is the focus on myself? On receiving? On what I can get? And what I want now, I want. Very, very opposite. Christ gave. He gave His life. So we have Christ whose love found its expression in giving. You know... 
we're told, we believe that Christ loved us, right? And we believe that Christ walked in love. I mean, he and God, and, and uh, let's just focus on Christ for the moment. Uh, so, he had this love in himself, and how did that love ex- find expression? How did that love, uh, what did he do with that love that was in his heart, that, that was within him? He allowed it to express itself in giving, in giving. Well, how about God the Father? You know, the Bible tells us that God is love. You know, He doesn't just have love. He, He is love. He, it's, it's, that's where you go when you go to find the, the, uh, the, the source of love. It's, it's God. Well, how did, uh, the love, God's love, uh, how did His love manifest itself? The Bible obviously tells us in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that He gave. He gave. 1 John 4 verse 9, In this was manifest the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. God gave His only begotten Son. He sent His only begotten Son into the world. You know, God knew us. He knew our need. And He knew that He had within heaven's resources, within heaven's, uh, within the perimeter of Himself, I don't know how you describe that, but He knew that within, within the, uh, uh, the expanse of heaven, He had the resources that were needed to solve man's problem. But in order for that, uh, you know, in order to, for that problem to be solved, God had, I don't know, I don't like to say it that way, had to give. That don't sound right, does it? But He gave. He gave. His love motivated Him. His love, his, the expression of His love was to give. And that's how God, uh, that's how God uh, found expression to His love. And of course, Christ also knew our need. He knew He qualified to meet that need. And His love motivated Him to give Himself to meet our need. <clears throat> so, For God and for Christ, love expressed itself by giving. By giving. Giving themselves. Giving of themselves. Can love exist and not express itself? Can it it be there? Can love be in a heart and not express itself? Can it just be kept in there and not have an outlet? Can it look upon the needs of another and not respond? According to 1 Corinthians, and this is kind of a 
a balancing thought here. According to 1 Corinthians, you can give without loving. But I now add this. Can you love without giving? 1 Corinthians makes it very clear. If I give my body to be burned and have not charity, have not love, it's nothing. You can actually give without loving. And it doesn't profit anything. But can you love without giving? I would suspect that we all know the answer to that. You really can't love without giving. Consider this scripture. 1 John 3:16 and 17 Hereby perceive we or understand we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. See, that is, that helps us comprehend God's love, the fact that he laid down his life for us. We perceive it, we understand it. It it it, it comes into our hearts and we can grasp it. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And uh, the writer is simply saying now that that, that we've got a contradiction happening here. We have, I have what it takes to meet your need, and I refuse to meet it. How does the love of God dwell in my heart if I do that? challenge to us. Well, God and Christ expressed their love uh, in giving, and now it's our turn. It's like they, uh, they made their move, and now it's our move. And you know, that's, that's actually for any one of us, wherever we find ourselves in life, You know, whether we're here and we have never trusted Christ for salvation, we've never surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, we've never, uh, for whatever reason, whether we haven't understood the need or whether we've resisted the need to uh, make or allow Christ to be Lord of our lives, or whether we're just going through life... um, And, uh, you know, walking with God. You know, God made his move. And it's now up to us to respond to that move. It's like uh, the the, uh, psalm writer says in Psalm, uh, I believe it's 23, Thou preparest a table before me. You know, God put salvation out on the table. God put all the provisions out on the table that are needed for us to live a life that uh, honors and glorifies Him. It is, it is all out on the table. And it's now our mood. And I can't pick it up for you. I can't walk up to the table and take it for you. And your dad can't walk up to the table and take it for you. Your mother can't walk up to the table and take it for you. Every one of us must individually walk up to the table and partake of the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God has made his move. It's now our turn. 
And it's that way, you know, regarding uh, our walk with God. Uh, as we will see here, you know, uh, this scripture here, uh, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love. Uh, you know, God has made His move. He has expressed His love. He gave His sacrifice. He, he, he did it all from His end. Now, He's saying, you, you're, you know, now you're in the arena of life. Now it's your move. Now you uh, respond to what I have done. You respond to uh, the love, my love. And obviously, uh, it's only... Uh, uh, it's only reasonable that we would walk in love, isn't it? That we would uh, do the same, walk in love. <clears throat> First John 4 verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And uh, John 15, verse 13 tells us that greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And as we were talking about love, uh, one of the things that, you know, we talk about giving, and yet we have to realize that just because I gave doesn't mean I love. When you, you know, when you remember 1 Corinthians 13. And so... We have to realize that love does need to be born in the heart. And we want to recognize that. Um, that it does need to be born in the heart. It must be alive and well in the heart. There must be that genuine care and compassion that is in the heart of a man and a woman. Um, that is put there, would you say, by the Spirit of God and by God's continuing work in our lives. And if that is present... If that genuine love and care is present, that it will then express itself in uh, giving of time and energy and resources to meet the need of fellow human beings. Giving of time, energy, and resources. And, of course, this could be a good spot to contrast again just a little bit when we think about love in the heart and the natural focus. And I think it's right to say it that way. The natural focus of love is out. If the focus is inward, it's not because it's not by mistake. It's because there's a problem down in here. There's a problem in the heart. And once the heart is corrected and the love is in the heart, then the focus will be outward. That is, that is uh, uh, the, the, the love, the, the focus of love will be outward. The contrast we have, as we've looked at a few times, which is inward, you know, uh, uncleanness, greediness, uh, fornication, the sins of the flesh, an inward focus, what I want at someone else's expense, uh, it, you know, I don't care, how it hurts you, I, this is what I want and I want it now type of thing versus seeing the need of another and realizing that I have the uh, resources that are needed to meet that need and to, uh, to give in that way. <clears throat> so, now, as we, as we think about walking in love, 
I guess it would only be natural that we would, first of all, consider walking in love as it relates to God. You know, obviously, it also works itself out in walking in love as it relates to our fellow man. And we will look at that some, I think, in this message yet. But uh, let's begin by considering uh, walking in love as it relates to God. <clears throat> you know, again... Love has to do, love has to be, uh, has to be born in the heart. It's, uh, it's not something that we kind of try to put on. It's not something that we, uh, it's a little bit like a, it's a little bit like, I guess that's, maybe we could use the illustration of a plant. It's, or, or even a, a, a fire. Maybe a fire would be better. But you, you nurture a fire. You know, you, maybe you got a fire, it's just smoldering a bit and, and there's just some hot coals there, and you blow on it, and you you uh, you might put some dry kindling on it to get it going again. And after a while, you got a nice warming fire. You know, that's a little bit the picture of love in our hearts. You know, it's something that needs to be nurtured. Uh, and how do we nurture it? But by the Word of God, by nurturing it with the Scriptures and with the uh, uh, focusing uh, on God and on His Word and on His and His Spirit working in us. Nurturing the love in our hearts. So we want to recognize that, that it needs to be there. We, we don't want to just go through this message with the idea that this is something we can somehow fabricate. It's something that is nurtured in our hearts as we, uh, as we walk with God, as we relate to God, as we relate to our fellow man. Uh, it's, it's something that just should be burning in our hearts. <clears throat> You know, how do we, how do we, uh, rate love? How do we evaluate it? You know, if we were to draw a graph, how would we define it? Uh, love has to do with our values, I believe. You know, what we place the highest value upon is what we really love. Uh, has to do with, with, uh, how we perceive things. It's what we give most of our time and attention to. That's what we love. It's, it's, that, uh, it's that which matters most to us. Is it any reason that God would say that He wants us to love Him above all else? Because He wants to, he wants to hold that spot in our hearts and lives that is above everything else. He wants to be the most important to us. You know, if, if, if self, if myself is what is most important to me, like Jesus says, if we, if we try to save our lives, if we try to, you know, love ourselves and build up ourselves and save ourselves and all those kind of things, you know, uh, we try to save our lives, we'll lose them. But if we'll lose our lives, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll find it. It's uh, kingdom principles. If it is God we love most, then living a life that pleases God will be our number one goal and desire. Think about that. If it is God that we love most, then living a life that pleases God will be our number one goal and desire. <clears throat> Is that true? 
It is, isn't it? If it is God that we love most, how then do we know that we love God? How do we def- how do we determine that that we love God? That uh, how do we measure it? <clears throat> You know, when I, as we think about this, when I say love God, I'm really, I'm not really separating between God and Christ. Uh, there's probably times in the scriptures we do that, but I'm not at this point. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to John chapter 14. There's a number of uh, ways I think that we can, uh, you know, we talked about love is defined by giving. Uh, here, God defines, here, God actually gives us one of His measuring sticks for love, uh, that He, He uses. In John 14 verse 15, Jesus says these words, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Now that's, uh, that's one of the measuring sticks that God uses to determine whether a person loves Him, is to whether they obey Him. That's simple. Right? Uh, go down to verse uh, 21. To verse 24. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will, and will manifest myself to him. Let's drop down to verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. You know, that is one of God's measuring sticks to determine whether a person loves him. It's a pretty simple one, and I, I realize there are probably others in the Scripture as well. I think this is probably one of the ones that is uh, spelled out the clearest, or the yeah, the most uh, kind of black and white. You know, you obey me or don't you? Uh, when our children obey or don't obey, we, we kind of know what that is, right? Uh, God uses that as a measuring stick. You know, if, uh, if we have the love of God in our hearts, based on these scriptures and these things we've looked at, it would seem like our heart should be in a posture that as we read the Word of God, we are continually asking ourselves now, how, what does obedience look like in this scripture? What does obedience look like in this particular scripture? You know, and we'll look at a few. If, if love in our hearts for God results in obedience, then as we read God's instruction book to us, there should be something in our hearts that is continually holding up the word of God before us and saying, okay, what does obedience look like in this one? What does God intend for me today in this generation that I live in? 
regarding this scripture. Let's look at a few. Uh, Matthew 6. <clears throat> Matthew 6. Uh, we're not going to read the entire context here, but verse 24 is where it begins. Uh, one that we'd like to consider. I'll read verse 24 and 25 and then we'll drop to the end of the chapter. 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or riches, or wealth. Or Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, nor yet for the body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? And then we have these uh, examples of the sparrows. And then uh, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now when Jesus penned those words, or inspired those words, or spoke those words, and they were penned by the apostles, uh, Jesus had something in mind for us. He didn't put him there to fill space. He had something in mind. He, he, was, uh, he was wanting to teach us a, a truth that uh, would, would uh, be a blessing to us if we would understand and live out the reality of that truth. So, as we read scriptures like that, if the love of God is in our hearts and that love is desiring, is motivating us to obey God, which Jesus said it does. If the love of God is in our hearts, it will motivate us to obey God. Then our hearts will look at those scriptures and say, okay, what does this scripture mean to me and my life today in this generation that I live in? What does it look like if I live out this scripture just the way Jesus intended it? We should ask those kind of questions. What would it look like if I were living out this scripture just the way Jesus intended it? Just the way he intended when he gave it. It means something to us today. Just like it meant something to every generation that has read it up to this point. I'm not going to take the time to try to tell us exactly what that all means, but I I hope it jogs our minds a little bit that that's the kind of heart we need to, we should have if we are walking in love. If we are walking in love. That uh, we look at those scriptures and we say, well, what does this mean to me? Let's jump over to Luke and look at another one. Luke 9, 23. We'll read verse 23 to 27. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself, or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his glory and his and his, in his Father's and of the holy angels. And we'll just stop there. 
again, here's a scripture that, uh, you know, if, uh, if a man will come after him, Christ, uh, let him take up his cross. Uh, if we endeavor to save our lives, we're going to lose it. You know, if we lose our life for his sake, we'll find it. Uh, what are we advantage? You know, again, it's just, it's a, it's a challenge that comes to us. And we, as believers in God and professing to love the Lord Jesus, need to reckon with a scripture like that. What does this mean to us? What does it look like if I obey this scripture the way Jesus intended it? There's a lot of scriptures when we start looking at them that way. Let's look at another one. 1 Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians 5, verse 21 and 22. The scripture says this, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, and abstain from all appearance of evil. Now maybe, to just get a better context, maybe we should pull in, keep a finger there in Thessalonians. Let's go, I'm going to, this is also familiar, in First John chapter 2, verse 15. Some of you could probably quote it. First uh, John 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Here we have several scriptures again that... Uh, we have to ask ourselves, okay, what does this look like if I live it out exactly the way it was intended by our Lord when he inspired the Apostle John to write, or Paul. No, John in this one and Paul in the Thessalonians. What does it look like? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. You know, again, you can't love God and mammon. You can't love the world and God, both. Uh, prove all things. Word prove would give us the idea of discerning all things. Hold fast to the good. Abstain from the evil. What does it look like in the life of a child of God when they live out what God intended by those scriptures? What does it look like? He that hath my, he that loveth me, how did John say it in uh, John 14? He that loveth me, uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Walking in love, first of all, toward God. <clears throat> we could. Uh, we could go to First Peter, and maybe I will just briefly. First Peter three uh, says, "Likewise, verse one. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands." Verse seven, "Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel." Uh, verse eight, "Finally, be ye all of 
One mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. What does that look like? When we live that out, just the way our Lord intended it. For us to live it out. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that thereunto, that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. What does that look like? When we live that out, just the way our Lord intended it to be. Well, I think I've shared enough of scriptures that your mind is is thinking a little. You know, how do we determine how these various scriptures apply to us in our day? How do we determine that? Do I, do I decide all those things for myself on my own? Do I make my own judgments and discernments regarding the world and what it is and how I relate to it? Or discerning... Uh, all things and abstain, uh, you know, uh, holding to the good and abstaining the evil. Do I, do I do that all by myself? Me for my family, you for your family. Is that the way we do it? <clears throat> do you and a couple of your friends decide what it, what uh, what the Bible means when it talks about not loving the world and the things that are in the world? Do you determine that with a couple of your friends? Or how do we actually determine? You know, there's, uh, I think there's probably some of all of that that we do. You know, we, we evaluate things ourselves. We consider them. We discuss things with our friends. We consider them. But there's something else that the scripture gives us that I'd like to consider. And uh, it's simply the, the example of Acts 15, where the early church had a, a, an issue at hand. And uh, why don't we turn to that, Acts 15. They had an issue at hand that they needed answers for. They needed to know how to obey the Lord Jesus in a given, some given subjects uh, regarding the Gentile believers. And they needed answers. And uh, the uh, they, you know, it's interesting they, the way they uh, came about a, 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 a solution. Uh, for one thing, they didn't try to just figure it out among themselves there where they were. They actually went back to Jerusalem to the to the uh, to the church to the apostles to the to the uh, where the I'm going to say where the church was birthed and uh, kind of went back to the source to be sure that they got the clear answer on the subject. And, uh, of course, they, they sat together, as it uh, tells us in, in, uh, in Acts 15, that whole chapter kind of gives us that discourse. 
It says in verse 4, And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and of the elders, and they declared all the things that God had done with them. And, uh, and of course, then they, they bring the matter uh, that was at hand, how that uh, the Pharisees uh, said that it was needful for the uh, Gentiles to be circumcised, and in verse 7, and it says in verse 6, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider the matter. And in verse 7, And when there had been much disputing. So there was quite a bit of dialoguing going on uh, on the matter. And then Peter gets up and he gives a voice. And then uh, James gets up in verse 13 and he gives a voice. And, uh, and uh, it says then in verse 22, Yeah, I believe that's it. it pleased it then pleased it the apostles and elders and the whole with the whole church to send chosen men, and they send a letter uh, uh, stating their uh, conclusions that they had made. And in verse twenty-eight, it says this: For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than those these necessary things. And then they name a few things there, and. Uh, uh, that ye abstain from meats uh, offered to idols, from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, and from which ye, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Fare ye well, and send them on the way with with a conclusion to the matter. You know, uh, looking at that backdrop a bit, you know, the church there was an issue that needed an answer, and they gathered the believers. You know, they gathered the others. They dialogue they discussed you know what is the right you know answer this question what would God want and I'm going to imagine they would have even said what would Jesus tell us if he were here because they had been in his presence they'd heard him teach they and uh, of course the uh, the Holy Ghost was there with them helped them give an understanding and they uh, arrived at a conclusion we have a scripture in first Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 I'd like to look at briefly here uh, Paul is exhorting Timothy. Uh, it says in verse 14, These things I write unto you, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You notice that uh, how Paul describes the church. It is he's 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 uh, exhorting Timothy how to behave himself properly in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The uh, like to just consider that for a bit. The church is described here as the pillar and ground of the truth. You know, a pillar is just that. It is a column. You know, it's. It's something, you know, in, in structures, you'll see pillars at times. Sometimes they put the pillars out front, you know, makes it look good, perhaps. But it's a pillar. It's a big, uh, can be bigger or small, but uh, it's something that it stands up. It's, it's, uh, it's you can see it. It's uh, straight. It's tall. The word ground simply means uh, support, a, a stay, something that, and it's like uh, the, the, uh, the, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. In other words, here is, here's 
truth. And the church is where the truth is upheld, you might say. The church is where the truth is to be discerned. The church is where the truth is to be uh, held to. The church is where the truth is to be exemplified. It's the church is where the truth is to be uh, held to, discerned, exemplified, uh, lifted up, uh, brought before the hearts of humanity. That was the intent of the church. A lot of professed church Christendom hasn't quite gotten there, have they? You know, issues, issues like worldliness, loving the world, and I, I could go into the blatant ones, but we don't have to go that far. The church should be holding up the truth on issues uh, long before we get to the issues that we're dealing with today. The church should be holding up the truth on, on uh, the women's position in, in, in church life. It shouldn't even be a question. The church should be holding up the, the, the truth of, of what purity is in the life of the believer. The church should be holding up the truth on what uh, worldliness is. The church should be holding up the truth on these issues, on, on various issues. <clears throat> it's in the church where everyone should be able to see what truth really is. That is God's will and God's heart. It's in the church where truth should be discerned, held up, understood, and lived out. In the church. <clears throat> how do we determine how these commandments apply to us today? You know, if we, if we love God, then we should welcome that kind of input into our lives. You know, the input of the church, the brotherhood, the, uh, the truth as it is discerned and understood. We should welcome the dynamic of brotherhood in our lives as it is meant for our well-being. Now, the sad thing is that uh, too much of the professed church actually doesn't lead people into the will of Christ and God. And that is sad. But that aside, we should, with our whole hearts, be endeavoring to do just that. To understand, to discern what the truth, what Christ, you know, meant, what he wants us to be living out to live it out, to discern it, to live it out, to hold it up for the, uh, the world to see. So that should be taking place in the church. And you know, as, uh, as the world scene changes, uh, the church has to, should, be, should be able to face all those changes and face the current issues of the day from a biblical perspective. That is God's will. It is God's will. 
It's God's will that believers could continue to look at these scriptures and allow ourselves to be sharpened by them, allow our hearts to be challenged to obedience, allow our hearts to continue to walk in holiness, irregardless of how perverse the rest of the world or the rest of Christendom becomes. It is the will of God and our hearts should pant after that. Our hearts should pant after uh, a vivid expression of obedience to the Word of God in our day and our generation. Our hearts should love that and pant for it. Our hearts should ask the question, what is the world in this our day? And what are the things of the world in this our day that we are not to be loving? Our hearts should ask those kind of questions if we love God. Our hearts should be desiring discernment. Our hearts should be desiring the discernment that comes from a body of believers, not just our own heart's discernment. Our hearts should be desiring that. The discernment that comes from a body of believers. Allow our own personal discernment to be sharpened by the discernment of brothers. <clears throat> Remember, we're walking in love. Walking in love. Love toward God. Let's just consider a recent subject that we as brothers have discussed here. This past week in our brothers' meeting, we discussed the whole aspect of videos and movies. Okay, does that perchance pertain to the world and the things of the world? It does, doesn't it? Well, it would be pretty easy to just cut a line and say, none. No videos, no movies. That'd be pretty easy, wouldn't it? But you know, we didn't exactly do that. But we discussed the many aspects of the challenges and the few benefits that uh, come from videos and movies. We considered the instructional part and the educational part part that videos can play and recognize they have a place. You know, you can watch a video to learn how to fix a tractor. You can watch a video to learn how to do some cooking. You can watch a video to learn how to put flooring down. You know, there's a whole host of things. But then we also talked about some other things about videos. Some of the dangers And some of the uh, addictive nature of videos, the content of videos. We considered, and maybe I asked this question a little more on my own, at what point should the content be offensive to a Christian? 
I wonder if there are any, quote, Christian videos or movies out there that uphold the standard of modesty that we believe the Bible teaches. Do you think there are any? How about, uh, are there any that uphold purity as we believe the Bible teaches? Christian videos. Not talking about the worldly gamut. Or even documentaries. Think about it. We can't overlook those issues. We can't just sit ourselves in front of of, uh, videos that, uh, you know, present a, a standard of modesty that is much lower than what we believe the Bible teaches and a standard of purity that we, is much lower than what we believe the Bible teaches, and expect to maintain what we believe the Bible teaches. You can't do it. So we sat around as brothers and we discussed those things, and it was a blessing, I would say. It was really a blessing. <clears throat> And so I just simply, it just simply bring that all in here. You know, if we love God, if we are walking in love, we will welcome that kind of input into our lives. We will welcome that kind of discernment to discern how does this truth apply to me today? How do I, in this day and generation, uh, for, you know, uh, live in the reality of what 1 John 2 verse 15 teaches me, and Thessalonians there, to not love the world, to discern all things, and to approve that which is good, and to abstain from all appearance of evil. What does that mean? What does it mean to abstain from all appearance of evil? Where do you cut the line when you talk about all appearance of evil? Is a, a video clip of, uh, of a tractor pool, is that an appearance of evil or not? Well, think about everything that's going on behind there. Don't just look at the tractor. Look at the person who's running the machine. Look at the scene that surrounds it all. What's all going on there? Is there any pride involved? So, we can do all those kind of things. We can sit our children in front of them and not expect them to want to grow up and have hot rods. Think about it. Well... We should, we should welcome, and this is where I really want to highlight on. I didn't bring this up just for, to try to drive the point home necessarily, though. I did say to Brother Earl, I wish the ladies could sometimes just sit and listen to the men talk in a brother's meeting. I wish they could catch what is said there. 
because it's, it is good. I'm glad the young men are usually there. Uh, it is, it's a blessing. But we should welcome, this is where I want to go with this, we should welcome that, that discernment in our lives. If we are walking in love, love, God's measuring stick for love, one of them is obedience. And we should welcome brotherhood input into our lives to discern how do we actually walk at this, uh, uh, live out this truth, this biblical commandment in our day, in our generation. Your great-great-grandpa didn't have to deal with videos. If they'd have sat around in a brother's meeting talk about videos, nobody would have knew what they're talking about. They had other things to talk about, probably. But here we are today. And unfortunately, we are blessed to live in a time where the stuff comes faster than we can discern it. (laughs) I think we all agree with that. Uh, But uh, again... I would like to make an appeal that rather than just cutting a line and saying, you know, absolutely none, I would rather see us talk about these things and allow our hearts to be sharpened and our consciences to be sharpened to the point where we will have a mind that discerns, abstain from all appearance of evil. Well, that, you know, that particularly, you know, that video and, and the way that, Gal smiled at that guy with those flirty eyes. That's not a good thing for my son. I, we're getting rid of that one. Think about it. It doesn't have to be graphic scenes that can start defiling a, a man. Abstain from that which is evil. <clears throat> All right, we do need to keep going here. But let me say this, that is true on any subject. You know, welcome that kind of discernment and input into your life. Let's welcome that. Let's, uh, let's welcome the, the, uh, the thoughts and the discernment and the wisdom of other brethren all put together to where we, our, our consciences are sharpened and we abstain from the evil and we, we uh, uh, embrace the good. Well, by now, you've probably discovered, if you didn't think about it, I can point it out to us, that uh, loving God involves loving people. See, we've kind of come full circle now. We talked about, you know, our love toward God, and our love toward God involves obedience. And we talked about how to discern that obedience in our day, and it brought us back to brothers, brotherhood, and people. So, now we have to ask the question, do we love the brethren? Peter exhorts us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. 1 John 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So, going to try to just sum it up here a bit, you know. There could be, and maybe there will be, I'm not exactly sure where I'll go with this uh, in the next message, but there could be, of course, a whole message uh, shared on love among us as brethren and sisters in the Lord. 
And uh, we'll see how God directs all of that. But I simply give us those few verses to again realize that, you know, it comes back around. Walking in love is relates to God and walking in love relates to our fellow man. And it goes beyond these walls too, uh, relating to all of humanity. So how... How is our love? Do we find it easy or difficult to lay down our lives like Christ laid down his life? Do we find it difficult or easy to give of ourselves, of our time, of our resources, of our energies to meet the need of someone else? Can we sacrifice our own desires and interests in behalf of the well-being of our fellow man or in behalf of the well-being of Brotherhood, life, brotherhood experience. You know, I wonder if it isn't true. Love is measured in terms of sacrifice. Where there is no sacrifice required, love is not really proven. You know, the example of the widow and the rich man again. You know, the rich men had abundance of money. They could, they could fill the pot and still had a couple more pots full at home. There was no sacrifice necessarily. The poor widow, when she put hers in the pot, there was none at home. That was sacrifice. That was sacrifice. You know, the test of love really comes when it requires sacrifice. When it requires sacrifice. Back to our scripture in Ephesians. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. For a sweet smelling savor. For Christ it was a sacrifice. Walking in love was a sacrifice. Walking in love is a sacrifice for us too. It's a little like some other things. We can choose to make the sacrifice or we can choose not to. May God bless us with an abundance of love in our hearts that will walk itself out in everyday life. May God bless us to that end.